This is the Tribune Audio Network. Hi. Hi. Hola. <laughs> ¿Cómo está? ¿Cómo está usted? I don't know what that means. <laughs> I think it's how are you doing? Does anyone know? Yeah, Kenny's shaking Kenny's. his head, yes. He's eating animal crackers. He can't talk right now. Aha, I'm not the only one. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, welcome to Sip, Survive, Repeat. Yay, episode 10? 10. Oh my God. We're 10 years old. Ten, I'm sorry, 10 episodes oh, old. <laughs> sorry. If we've been doing this for 10 years, we should have be a lot great, more actually. people listening. Yeah. <laughs> Can we have more than 500 people listening? Hey, here's a question. If you are liking this podcast, um, we think you should, this is going to be tell a friend day. So find your best friend. And tell them. Or tell your least favorite friend and tell them about Sip, Survive, Repeat. Because we would love more people to take a little listen. Mm-hmm. We sure would. Oh, I don't think I told you what I did. What'd you do? <laughs> what did you do? Um, I tried to get us a shout out via this like app called Cameo. Mm-hmm. And remember, we were looking at it and we were going to ask for like a celebrity. Yeah. To be like, congrats on your 10th episode. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently they consider that advertising because it was going to be advertising. But whatever, I was trying to trick the system and it didn't work out for Damn me. Damn it. I got an email that was like, this is not approved. <laughs> what? You Cameo? think they would just take your money? Just who cares? Well, but they, the person I was trying to get would have cost a lot more than $65 for an advertisement. Whatever. Mm. I tried. I good. tried to scam hey, the system and it, it backfired. It's a good try. Thank you for trying. You're welcome. It's more than what I did. So, eh, it's fine. I'm going to keep working on it. Um, I don't know how, but you're never going to give up. Don't. I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to let you down. I'm never going to, I don't know the next line. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. Never, never going to run around and, and hurt you. Kenny is like, get me out of here. Kenny, have you ever been Rickrolled before? Of course. <laughs> that was one of my favorite things to do when I first started working because I was like, I had just started and then pe- people were doing that to people. And I was like, this is hilarious. I didn't know that was an actual thing. Oh yeah. You said, <laughs> I thought you just made that up. Oh no, it no, no. It still is a thing. Really? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I want to do it now. Well, I'll, maybe I'll do it tomorrow at work for you okay. so you can see. So I send out like, Hey you guys, this is a really good video about blah, 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 training. And then I put a link in that's like, you can't tell what it is, but when you click on it, it just brings up the song by Will you please Rick. do that. Please do that. Ashley, is that his name? Yeah. <laughs> How do I not know this? I was born in the 80s. I don't... Well, I mean, obviously, it didn't start till the internet. Okay. And then it really didn't start until, I think, the 2000s. It's called like Rick 2008 Roll. YouTube time. That's when okay. it popped yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, you, and then it says something like, you got Rick Rolled. Oh, will you please do that? Yeah, I'll do it yes. tomorrow. Okay. You guys know about it, though, so you can't... You can't so it I'll doesn't really along. count. Okay. You'll probably still trick me. <laughs> because sometimes I'm not smart. <laughs> so there you go. Um, before we start, uh, check out our website, sipsurviverepeat.com. Uh, and then also you can find us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, mm-hmm. and the Twitter. Mm-hmm. So, and oh yeah, and don't forget to tell a friend or an enemy about this podcast. Or a frenemy. Mm. Mm. I like uh, whatever dance moves you're doing over there. It's 79 degrees in so, Cleveland, Ohio right now. Really? Yeah, we're really <laughs> excited. We tried to do this outside, but it didn't work in our favor. So... If anyone has ever had a bodysuit, if you've ever worn a bodysuit, and which I have on right now today, a short sleeve bodysuit, and it snaps at the 
crotch area and it's very uncomfortable so I cut I cut it and so right now I'm supporting this beautiful bodysuit with just Jenny are you okay yeah I'm adjusting my mic Oh, oh I'm like, adjusting my mic. I'm adjusting my mic. Okay. I was just okay. telling my bodysuit story. I Who love your bodysuit story. Cares. I do. Okay. Wait, what are you doing with your bodysuit? You cut the crotch out. Yeah, but it's like, it looks like uh, the Britney Spears <laughs> concert where she just had like, anyway, don't buy bodysuits. They're uncomfortable. That's my PSA. And it's a pain in the butt to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Unless you cut it like me. Yeah. Just be like Danelle. Cut your bodysuit in the crotch. I was just worried that the tail would come, come out. out during the day. It didn't. It didn't. It's fine. Good, good job. Okay. I go first. You do. Okay. We're, oh, wait. We didn't talk about this cool wine we're drinking. Oh, guys. We, since it's our 10th episode, <laughs> we are pulling out all the stops. All the stops. And by stops, I mean Jenny's stopping at the gas station to get this bottle. Listen, I didn't want to come empty-handed, so I showed up today with a beautiful gas station wine. It's delicious. First made- off, a twist top. Twist top. Huge. Which I'm a fan of. Uh, it's a 2016 California wine. Uh, it's a Cabernet Sauvignon. A Sauvignon. And it's from a place called Cupcake Vineyards, which we heard uh. is a real classy joint. Um, ooh, it, the twist top's leaking on me. <laughs> don't let it leak on my Target runner. Oh, my God, Just no. kidding. I don't want it to. Okay. Um, so we're obviously just kidding, but um, we all feel like we're in college drinking some nice cheap wine. This was $9.81. And it tastes like it. Hey, Listen. But it's great. I mean, it still does the job. It's it's wine. And when we're done with this one, we can open a better one. I have a bottle downstairs somewhere. (laughs) Next time I swear I'll stop somewhere. It's my turn to get the wine. Okay. Well, the next time I stop, it'll be delicious, I swear. Not that this isn't. It's It's actually not bad. It's just real grapey, which it's not. I love Welch's (laughs) grape juice. It doesn't taste like that, but... No, but it's pretty creepy. Anywho. Um, all right, you go first. Okay. So, this week I am doing the survival story of Randall McCloy Jr. And this is the Sago Mine Disaster. Sago? Sago Mine Disaster in West Virginia. Oh, my God. Okay. So, this is really sad. I watched a documentary last night, actually, on it. And I read a bunch of articles about it and it was very sad. But then when you watch the documentary, I don't know a lot about mining. So I had to watch this documentary to kind of understand what exactly was happening. Right. And it's very, very sad. And these, (coughs) sorry, but but there is a survivor. Good news. Oh, okay. It's a survivor, Pete. There better be. (laughs) So we're going to start. It's in the early morning of January 2nd, 2006. Oh, this is kind of recent. It's kind of recent. 2006 in a small town, West Virginia. Um, And this town kind of reminds me where I grew up which is Minerva, which is like Southeast Ohio area. Okay. Um, you know, farmy, very blue collar, just, you know, everyone knows everybody, very small town. And, um, this is a coal mining town where, you know, generations upon generations have been coal miners. Your dad's a miner, you're a miner, maybe your grandfather was a miner. Um, it's just the way of life there. And this particular mine was underneath the Appalachian mountains. And if Um, I, I think it's pronounced Appalachian. Appalachian. Appalachia. Yeah. Appalachia. I'm going to throw an Appalachia. It's Appalachian. <laughs> Appalachia uh, Mountains. Okay. And if you saw how I spelled this, it would be even more hilarious <laughs> because there's a giant red line underneath it. <laughs> 
so oh yeah didn't you transcribe this from a video uh-huh okay. yep these are all my own words too so wow and i didn't even bother to, to spell check this so i just looked down at my screen and saw um a word that <laughs> looks ridiculous and i didn't look at it until just now so here we go here we go you go <laughs> here goes the adventure um so it was under the appalachia mountains mm-hmm. <laughs> um and this is obviously a very ja- dangerous job and everybody that worked in the mines, they knew that every day when they went to work, that they were risking their lives, that they may not come out. It's just the way, it's just the way it was. Um, but the reward is great in this town. You make good money and they're able to support their families and that's why they did it. But the work was not obviously fun or, you know, it was hard work. Um, so in the early morning of January 2nd, 2006, um, the mining crew was returning from the holidays. So it was, I believe it would be New Year's Day. Wait, when were they returning? January 2nd. So the yeah. day after New Year's yeah. Day. So right. people, a lot of people are still on holiday and whatever. Yeah. Um, but not these miners. So um, Jackie Weaver, mm-hmm. one of the guys, just started his 25th year in the mine. Uh, David Lewis, another guy, had been mining for two years and was doing it to support his wife. Just as some background story of some of the people. Yeah. Um, he was doing it to support his wife while she went back to school to get her degree. And they also had two little girls, so he was supporting them as well. And he had said to his wife before that he didn't love mining, but he it paid the bills and he wanted to support his wife to go back to school. Was and, mining really like the only thing in this yes. town? Okay. It was either mining or bust. Like either you're going to mine or you're going to work do some other small job but it was like the town thing to do okay. it was the only way to really make a, a decent living in this town okay um so let's see sorry okay so david lewis and jackie weaver the two guys i just explained they're part of what's called the two left crew not to be confused with two live crew oh yeah girl <laughs> i just made it up on my in the spot but there it was the two left crew and the one left crew and it has to do with where they go within the mine so when they're tunneling down the mine the one left crew gets out of or turns down the mine first and the two left crew just keep they, they go deeper in the mine basically so they're it's the more intense crew every time people talk about mining you know what i think of what the goonies i know which i love that movie so mm. much Okay, classic truffle shuffle. Yeah, um, we used to make my cousin <laughs> I'll do, do that, that when we were little. I'll do that later. Mm-hmm. Please do. <laughs> After this bottle of cupcake, I bet you will. That's right. Mm-hmm. So um, David Lewis and Jackie Weaver were part of the two left crew, which is again the one that goes deep into the mine, uh, traveling through a maze of tunnels. Uh, they are working in the furthest section of the mine. The baby of the crew is 26-year-old Randall McCloy Jr., who is what the story is about essentially. Uh, the crew always looked after Randall. They treated him like the son and, you know, like a son and a brother uh, because he was the youngest of them all. Even one of the guys was sort of a father figure to him and would bring him breakfast every morning, like a piece of cornbread or whatever his wife had made the night before. So they really looked after him um, because he was the baby. So 10 minutes behind. So it's January 2nd. They go in whatever they're 10 minutes behind the one left crew is 10 minutes behind the two left crew and the one left crew drives to their section of the mine and they a quote from someone in the one left crew says that it's always in the back of your mind you can go in and you may never come out you just go in fast do your job and then leave you can't think too much about it when you're cutting coal it's virgin territory it's something that no one has seen for millions of years you just don't know what you'll run into Mm -hmm. which is kind of eerie and yeah kind of 
paints the picture of what I saw in the video where it's just very desolated down there and it's just them alone. And if something happens, they're alone. Um, So both the crews are down there. One is deeper than the other. And there's also an invisible hazard to mining, which is methane. Ooh, is that why canaries? Have you heard about this? No. I mean, I have, but I, I explain it to me. So they used to, I think they used to take a canary in a cage down mm-hmm. into the mines and um, canaries are pretty sensitive creatures. And so what would happen is if there was a methane situation going on, the canary would die first. So, and canaries are known for um, beautiful singing. Oh. So the singing would yeah. go on, but as soon as you heard that singing stop, you knew, you knew that bird was dead and you needed to get out. Shit. I'm just, I'm really into birds. I wish they had a canary. Okay. So (laughs) foreshadowing. I know. So, um, methane is the invisible hazard to mining amongst other things, but, uh, it's so for people that don't know, it's gas occurring naturally within the coal. Um, so deep within uh, Sago mine on that early morning, methane is building to a dangerous level inside a recently closed sealed off section so picture underground nine miles it's nine miles deep and there's a section that's completely barricaded off and methane has been building in the section (gasps) by accident um there's a lot of speculation this particular mine had over 200 violations over the past two years now shouldn't someone be keeping track of that Mm mm-hmm yeah Uh okay neat yeah no one was. Oh, perfect. Until after the fact. Oh. So all this gas had been building. <laughs> and unfortunately for the two crews that were working that morning, there was a lightning storm, Jenny. Oh, my God. Happening. I and they did they get low? They did not get low. <laughs> low, low, But low, I feel like even low, if they did, low. it would not have helped them. Oh, so okay. <laughs> lightning, actually, they don't know what it exactly struck, but it struck near the mine and ignited the methane buildup that was building up in that section, which caused a huge explosion underground. Oh, I'm sure. Um, they didn't find out until afterwards that they haven't 100% confirmed that it was lightning, but it's the only thing that they can really draw the conclusion to that that's what happened. Um both crews were impacted. There was dust, debris, heat. Um, the one guy said it compl- the, the intensity was so strong it knocked his glasses and his hard hat off. Ooh. And there were tons of rock hitting them. The force alone was so intense that a lot of them were thrown backwards. So it's a huge underground explosion. Can which, I make one comment about yes. it? Yes. His, so I can have his a hard hat. Yeah, have a sip. My, so I don't understand why hard hats don't have chin straps. I feel like some do. Well, obviously his didn't or it no, wasn't a fix. But he should have had a hard strap, chin strap. That's what I'm saying. Hard just hat, chin strap. I don't know. I've seen, I like my husband does some construction stuff. Uh-huh. And so whenever he wears a hard hat, there's no chin strap. Yeah. So how does it stay on? I don't know. I'm like all other helmets have to have a chin strap. And if a rock comes on and hits you and knocks your hat off and another rock comes, you're screwed. I mean, it just seems, I don't know. Whatever. Go ahead. Maybe we should invent a hard hat with a chin strap. Yes. Genius. Um, (laughs) so both crews were impacted and um, smoke fills quickly fills the mine and it's followed by poisonous carbon monoxide yikers yeah and Um, what's the gas that was so uh methane 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 so methane ignited it which then caused the carbon monoxide which is the same gas that can poison people in their house right so um and you can't smell it it's odorless and Mm -hmm. but i 
they miners have been trained so much they know what's coming like they they know what's happening mining um, is a dangerous very field. dangerous and i would encourage anyone to watch this documentary it was very like i cried during it it was really sad like oh, you can read an article and i was reading all these articles and it was so technical i'm like i don't even understand what this is like they're talking about drilling holes in and, da, 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 and i'm just like i need to watch something that's very simple so i can explain and this documentary was on i think it was from the ap um, it's it's on YouTube. Just Google. If the you guys mine. don't know, AP. that means the Associated Press. That's the Associated Press. So just Google the mine's name and then AP video, and you'll find it. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, so the one left crew <clears throat> is also affected, but they are not as deep into the mine, so they actually find their way back to breathable air. They're not out Ooh. of the mine yet, but they are able to like backtrack a little bit and find air that's breathable now is this like when you're if there's a fire in your house you're supposed to get low to breathe the clean air i don't know from the video which is a reenactment it looks like the the smoke and everything just fills it's like a tunnel that's not that big so it fills everything so i don't know that getting low is gonna help you okay but they do a couple other things that will maybe uh, versus getting low they do have other techniques that they use so Um, the one left crew is safe at this point. They're not out, but they then realize that the two left crew team is still deep in and they can't hear them. They don't know if they're alive. Like nine miles. Like nine miles. Yeah. That's so, so scary. Ugh. Um, so they're nowhere to be seen. Help for the two left crew is over three hours away. So what I mean by this is it's a holiday. The mine company that runs the actual mine they know something's wrong and they're calling the help crew i'm sure it's called something specific but whatever they're not answering the call i'm gonna call it mine aid mine aid they're calling mine aid (laughs) mine aid is physically two hours away meaning they have to drive there to help them but no one's answering the phone so at this point they haven't showered yet they're not ready for the day listen they're eating sauerkraut and pork they're hungover from new year's eve and they're not going to answer the phone they have shit and they didn't Okay. So, and again, they have a three hour drive from wherever they are. So, mm. um, so mine aid is, they're trying to be contacted and, um, for over an hour and, and no one has picked up or, or answered the call. And also nothing is heard from the two left crew at this point either. So for an hour, nothing, it's just quiet down there. Um, so the two life crew, they are trapped deep in the mine and they are desperately trying to escape. The, the crew tries to ride to safety in their mine vehicle. So they were, you know, driving in these like little golf cart things and they try to drive to safety in those, but there's so much debris they can't, they can't escape. Because of the explosion is that the debris like kind of, sh- okay. Yeah. Kind of like block them in basically. Yeah. Um, and, and the tracks are all blocked. Like they, they could crawl around it, but the smoke is so thick. They don't know where they are. They're yeah. confused. Um, so they head back deeper into the mine, um, cause, because they're confused looking for a way out and they have special breathing equipment that is on their suits that they put on, but only half of the equipment is working. <coughs> so that's not enough. Not all the equipment is working. So they have to share. And also when you're in a panic situation, you tend to take in more oxygen. Right. So they also have to be cognizant of not to breathe as deep breaths as they normally would and they're sharing these oxygen it's just a bad situation all around Mm -mm. um and also they know that it's a temporary fix so i lost my place here hold on um i'm gonna get a slice of the apple while you're do it um okay so the breathing this is what i was trying to find the breathing equipment will only provide one hour of oxygen that's it. So all phones, communication down into the mine are completely shut down. Um, so no one can reach or contact them 
and they don't know if they're alive or dead. So there are 12 trapped miners from the two live crew, um, two left crew or live crew. <laughs> oh my God. There are two, there are 12 trapped miners from the, uh, that crew. And <laughs> so, um, one of the other safety strategies is to put a tarp up. Are you okay? I'm just eating my apple. Oh, I thought you were. No, I'm trying to not chew into the microphone. Okay. Um, but now I am. They put like a plastic sheet up. It's like 35 feet wide to help keep out the gases. So they kind of barricade themselves. And that's almost, that's someone said in the um, documentary, that's kind of like the last ditch final thing right. you can do. So they, they get that all set up and to block off the harm, harmful gases, but it's only a temporary fix. And they all know that it's temporary. And if they're not rescued soon, it's not good. Oh um, so at 11 a.m., this is four hours later, the rescue team finally arrives. And they see smoke billowing out of the mine, and they know that it's just not good news. And they're actually told they cannot enter to help save them because there's so much smoke. Oh, no. So they have to wait for federal and state officials to give them the go-ahead that they can go in and try to rescue. So this takes even more time. Oh, my God. During this time, the two left crew, while they're barricaded in, um, and they have their oxygen masks uh, they're, that they're trying sharing. that they're sharing. They're trying to like beat on pipes. They're trying to yell. They're doing every type of um, they have a sledgehammer that they're trying to bang stuff on. They're trying just trying to make noise so people know where they are. And that's also taking up oxygen and energy, which is not like looking back. They said they probably shouldn't have done that, but they didn't know. Um, this is a quote. So we eventually gave out. This is from the one survivor. And he said, we eventually gave up and quit our attempt to signaling sitting down behind the curtain on the mine floor or on buckets or cans that some of us found the air behind the curtain grew worse so i tried to lie as low as possible jenny yes and take shallow breaths so your lightning theory and your smoke theory work lie low Um, while methane um, obviously does not have odor like propane and is considered undetectable Uh, They could tell that it was so thick that they could sense like a gassy smell. Um, They all stayed together behind the curtain. And at one point, one of the guys did try to find another way out. And the heavy smoke just drew him back in the curtain. He he couldn't escape. Mm. So they were worried and afraid. And they began to accept their fate. Uh, One of the guys led everyone in the sinner's prayer. They prayed a little longer. And then someone suggested that each write letters to loved ones and um the guy who survived he said he wrote a letter to anna and his children who that's his wife and his kids and when he finished writing he put the letter in one of the guy's lunchbox so they all wrote letters and put it in this lunchbox hoping that someone would find the lunchbox with all their you know words that they wanted to leave behind for their loved ones i know um at as time went on he became they became very dizzy lightheaded some drifted off into what you know, could be a deep sleep. One person sitting uh, near him collapsed and fell off a bucket, not moving. It was very clear that um, there was nothing anyone could do to help. The last person he remembers speaking to was Jackie Weaver, who reassured him that um, if it's our time to go, it's our time to go, and it's God's will, and just it is what it is, basically. Um, So one by one, they all lost consciousness. The room grew still, and um, the one survivor continued to sit and wait, unable to do much else. And eventually he just passed out as well. <gasps> I know. 
So when the mine, now the mine rescuers finally made it to the trap miners 41 hours later. So they were down there for 41 hours. Yeah. Uh, but, but McCloy, who's the survivor, um, thought he was still alive, but they thought that he was also dead when they, when they reached them. So interestingly, which I didn't find this with the stuff I read, but the documentary, when the researcher, when the rescuers got to the miners, they signaled back to base saying, um, no one is alive. Um, you know, please send more help, blah, blah, blah. But the base only heard alive, please send help. So the base thinks that all the miners are alive. Oh, no. The base then notifies the governor, who is also near the site. No. And then they also notify all the family members that they're all alive. And everyone in the town was um, at this one church, and they all received word that all the miners made it out, and they're alive. Not that they made it out, but they're alive. Oh, no. And they're cheering, and they're crying, and they're, you know, praising God, and they're so thankful. And then... um, once the rescuers realized that there was miscommunication because they're supposed to, I guess when you're in that situation, you're supposed to say that multiple times and reconfirm that that's what exactly you said. Well, they didn't do that. So when they finally got everybody out, the base realized that they had messed up and that they had told the families and the news outlets and everybody that everyone was alive and they're not. Oh my God, that's except the worst. For, except for McCloy. So um, it was just really sad. And, and, the, and the family was very angry and just obviously all the families were hurt. Um, but McCloy was one of the only survivors of the 12 miners, and he was pulled out on January 4th. He had kidney, kidney, lung, liver, and heart damage and spent weeks in a coma where he was treated for severe brain injuries. Um, he finally returned home in spring of 2006, so he Jeez. was in the hospital all the way through spring. And throughout this time, he was called the, the miraculous recovery because he survived and no one else did. I wonder why. Do they ever like do any research on like maybe his physiology is different? I don't know. I did not. I didn't read anything about that, but it could be maybe because he was younger. Maybe he, I don't he has know. giant lungs. Maybe he has bigger lungs. Maybe he, his hard hat was strapped on. I don't know. Probably that. It could be multiple reasons. Um, so ahead of the 10th anniversary on January 2nd, 10 years later, the family released a statement and said, the date of January 2nd is difficult for me and my family. Every year, my wife, Anna, and I think of the families and loved ones of my coworkers and friends who were the victims. Um, we pray for God's grace to find them in comfort. And um, he basically goes on to say that he doesn't know why his life was spared and that these people were like family to him. And he is just he still has a heart. He's fully recovered. Yeah. He's not, it sounds like he's not a hundred percent there, but his spirit is still there. Like he can live a normal life right. and as much normal as, as possible. <laughs> is he um, still mining? He's not still mining. Thank God. They did not say what he was doing, Okay, but I'm hoping that I hope he got a very large settlement and never has to work again. I mean, fingers crossed. Yeah, I know. So, um, that is, I'm trying to think if I have any other little, tidbits but uh oh yeah so in 2005 the mine was cited 208 times 208 for violating regulations and 68 times in 2004 that's too many that's too many too many and no one listened to them and I think this is very technical so I didn't cover it but there was a reason why the methane was building in that section it should not have been building like that and it had to do with like Someone didn't plug a, a hole properly, or that could have been one of the violations. I don't know. So, well, with 208, 
Damn. I know that's a lot to just disregard all of those. I mean, I don't. And you think know, the you guys can. working there didn't know. Ugh, sad. I feel like that should be a rule. Like if you're working in a dangerous situation and there's violations, you must be made aware of them. Yeah. Absolutely. That's my new rule. It's law and at you're this gonna, point. And you're going to live by it. So that's the survival story of Randall McCloy Jr. Oh of the Sago mine disaster. Oh, my God. I can't deal with that. I know. It was very – It was this one was a hard one. It, it was – again, that documentary really just – Tearjerker. Tearjerker for me. These okay. poor guys. I think because it reminded me of home a little bit. Yeah. You know, like – Can I ask what your parents did? My mom worked at a bank. Okay. She was not a minor. Okay. And my dad worked at a, like, a dye place. Oh, okay. So they made, like, metal stuff. Okay. And right. other things. So. Okay. It wasn't a mining town. But, again, it was one company. Well, after my mom worked at the bank, she then worked at this other place called PCC. She still works there. And it's, like, the only, it's the only gig in town, really. So okay. it's the same, same situation. So. Okay. There you go. Oh my God. That's nuts. Crazy miners. Um, well, I have also a soul survivor story. Oh. Mm. I would I think I would hate to be a soul survivor because you'd always be like, why the guilt. me? I, why mm. me? So oh here you go. Get some apples, apples up in this joint. Okay. So I'm covering Julianne Kopke, born in nineteen fifty-four. So exciting. Um, she's also known by her married name, Julianne Diller. And she, this is where I got nervous looking at my screen. She's a German Peruvian mammalogist. Your what hurts? Yep. A German. She's, so she's okay. German. I got that. Peruvian mammalogist. I don't know what that means. Neither do I, but it's one word and it's real long. Is a mammalogist like she works with mammals? I think so. Okay. I'm going to go. I'll Google it. Or mammograms. Okay. <laughs> Guys, I'm a natural blonde, so there you go. So, ta-da. Figure it out. So she was a teenager in 1971, and Kopke was the lone survivor of the Lanza Flight 508 plane crash, and then survived 11 days alone in the Amazon rainforest. What? Yeah. She studies mammals. Okay. Not not mammograms? No. Okay. Okay. Great. So here we go. (laughs) I'm using a computer again, so... If it is so you hear hold me on pause, tight. hold on tight because I'm old and I can't do this. Okay. She was born in Lima, Peru in 1954 to German parents. Um, and they both worked at the Museum of Natural History in Lima. She was the only child of biologist Hans William Kopke and ornithologist Marie Kopke. Ooh, ornithologist. I don't know what that what is. is that? Do you look that up? I'm on it. Ornithologist. Maybe like a horn specialist? Yeah. Okay, and here we go. When uh, Julian was 14, her parents decided to leave Lima and set up Panguana. Panguana? A penguin sanctuary? It it was a research station in the Amazon rainforest. Wow. Okay. Studying birds, by the way. So maybe it is a penguin thing. Oh, my God. I bet it is. Or not in the Amazon, Or it's a canary thing. Remember? Be full circle. Full circle. We talked about it. Yeah. Birds. Oh, okay. We're on the same page. But so again. she's living in the Amazon. Basically, yes. Okay. So educational authorities disapproved, and Koki <laughs> was forced to return to the Deutsch Schule Lima Alexander von Humboldt to take her examinations. 
Uh, she passed the examinations and graduated on December 23rd, 1971. Anywho, here we go. The crash. Oh. Kopke's mother was working in Lima when Kopke graduated from high school. And Maria wanted to return to uh, Panguana? You are so daring. I love that you just take on these stories with all these. <laughs> and you do it so well. I don't. It's hilarious. On 19 or 20th of, or the 19th or 20th of December. Um, but Kopke wished to attend her, attend her graduation ceremony on the 22nd of okay. December. This is too close to this is, the holidays, you guys. Isn't Santa coming? Come on. Soon. You don't want to be out of town. Yeah. Um, Père Noël, as they say in France. Maria Maria agreed and instead scheduled a flight on Christmas Eve. All flights were booked aside from the one with Lanius Areas Nacional S.A., also known as Lanza. Uh, So here's my favorite part. Lanza, which is the airline, had a poor reputation. I don't think you should ever get on an airline that has a poor reputation. No. That sounds like a terrible plan. Terrible plan. I would rather drive. Yeah. Or Um, So (laughs) Kopke's father had previously urged Maria, the mother, to avoid flying with that airline. I feel like if your husband, oh wait, yeah, her husband, Maria's husband, uh, Julian's uh, father was like, don't fly that. Like, that's a bad idea. Eh, Whatever. They're like, F off. This is what we're doing. I would listen to that person. Agreed. (laughs) So, um... Now, this combines two of my biggest fears. Are you ready? Ready. The Lanza Lockheed L-188 Electra OBR-941 commercial airliner. I love that one. I know. It's my favorite. <laughs> like, if I'm thinking of, like, commercial airliners, I'm like, yeah. yes. I love to fly The one. Lockheed. Ooh. It was struck by lightning in a severe oh thunderstorm. My Jenny. Oh, my God, I can't breathe. You're like, double whammy. <laughs> double whammy. We're on a plane and we're getting struck by lightning. Although, si- I have to sidebar real quick. I was on an airplane that was struck by lightning. How did you know? Twice? Um, twice? No, what about you're afraid of lightning? No, I mean, it was that happened kind of recently. So, oh my God. we were flying back from, I think, Atlanta. And there was a big storm over Cleveland. Of course. And the... Um, the plane got struck twice, and when it gets struck, you kind of hear this zzz noise, and it travels down the plane. So, it's, did they announce that they were struck by lightning, or you knew? Oh no! Like, I just was like uh, that because it also was real bright suddenly. It was like so you knew it was you like could bright, tell by and then you like light travels faster than sound. So uh-huh. I saw the light, and then I heard the zzz twice, and that I was is- like so terrifying I'm like we're gonna die oh my god I have to get on a plane next week okay you got this um and then we had to land in Detroit instead of Cleveland and then drive home you were home. rerouted yes that's, that's how bad it was that's also a big fear of mine don't reroute me cause then I know something's wrong and the whole way to the reroute I'm gonna be freaking out I was freaking out I mean obviously yeah it was lightning and I was on a plane okay well this this is what happened this plane our favorite the Lockheed L-188 Struck by lightning and it broke apart in midair. Oh, Lanza, you need to work on your planes. Oh, Lanza. Now I'm picturing my biggest fear of just like flying out the side if it's completely broken in half. Um, well, it's it basically it didn't really break apart and disintegrate until it was about two miles from the ground. That's still too far. That's two miles too far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm on the ground, you better not disintegrate uh-uh. into anything. Nope. Don't do it. <sighs> 
Kopke, Julian, was still strapped into her seat. And I'm going to be honest with you. When they say keep your seatbelt fastened, they fucking mean it. Yeah, they do. And I'm going to always wear my seatbelt now. I mean, I do anyway. Have you ever seen those videos of like planes that drop suddenly and people aren't wearing their seatbelts and they get slammed into the ceiling? Mm -hmm. Kenny's like, nope. Don't watch it. Or do I, I didn't plan on it. No. Oh, okay. That's scary. I'm just saying it'll it'll teach you. It'll make wear you your seatbelt uh-huh. on airplanes. Um. So anyway, she was still strapped into her seat, and she survived the fall to earth. How? She had a broken collarbone and a gash to her right arm, and her right eye was swollen shut. But otherwise, she was fine. Now, do you think she ever got on a plane again? I don't know. Hold on. Oh. Um. Ooh, I'm highlighting things accidentally. <laughs> she said, uh, she, she's like, I think my seat must have turned and then buffered the crash. Otherwise, I wouldn't have survived. So her first priority was to find her mother, who was also on the flight. Um, she had been seated next to her. But obviously, when they crashed, she wasn't there anymore. Oh, no. So she searched for a little bit, but it was unsuccessful. She couldn't find her mom. She later discovered that her mother had initially survived the crash, which is totally sad but then died from her injuries. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Um, I wonder how far she was from her. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like how close she was to finding her. Right. I hope she never find out because that would just make you like, okay. Kopke found some sweets, which became her only food. And after she was looking for her mother and other passengers, she found a small stream. Okay, great. Great. She waded through knee high water, but we're in a not great area. The Amazon. So there's like snakes. The but, tropical rainforest. Yeah. So wading through yeah. any type of body of This reminds me of the, le- the leeches story that you told last week. I will never, I will never get into a lake. I'll never go like freely swimming in a lake with shallow areas again. Okay. Good. leeches. Good. Um, uh, she said that she was relying on the survival principle that her father had taught her that tracking downstream should eventually lead to civilization. Okay. So her dad was a biologist, and so she was like, okay, this is what my dad taught me. the river. So after 10 days, she found a boat moored near a shelter, and she found the boat's fuel tank still partly full. Okay, get ready for this. It's real gross. Oh, no. Kopke poured the gasoline on her wounds. Do you know why? To clean them out. Yeah, but what was she cleaning out? <gasps> It succeeded in removing the maggots uh, from her arm. Uh-uh. <coughs> yeah. So she's walking along the river and there are just maggots. Yep. Along for the ride. Mm-hmm. So were these Free cuts ride. from the plane and that this just developed yeah, when from she, an infection when she, or whatever? Yeah. Just, so she broke her ugh. collarbone and she also gashed her one arm open. So and so an, at this point it's all infected and has maggots. Now see, I wouldn't have thought to put gasoline in my... Well, here's the thing. Um, she said, I remember having seen my father when he cured a dog of worms in the jungle with gasoline. I got some gasoline and poured it on myself. I counted the worms when they started to slip out. Oh my God. That makes me want to throw up. There were 35 on my Ah! arm. I remained there, but wanted to leave. I didn't want to take the boat because I didn't want to steal it. Oh, stop. You get in that boat. (laughs) Get in that boat. I'd be like, bye. James Bond the fuck out of here. See you later. (laughs) Me and my worms are going to go for a ride. Okay. Because it was already dark, Kopi slept in the tiny shelter that she found. And in the morning, a small group of local fishermen discovered her and brought her to their village. The next day, a local pilot volunteered to fly her to the hospital in Pukalpa. 
Mm, I don't know. The day after arriving at the hospital, Kopke saw her father again. Overcome with emotions, the reunion was a moment without words. That's such a good story. Yeah. After she recovered from her injuries, uh, Kopke helped search parties to locate the crash site and the bodies of the victims. On January 12th, the search parties discovered Maria Kopke's mm. body. So, mm. Um, the aftermath is basically, she said, I had nightmares for a long time for years. And of course the grief about my mother's death and that of the other people, Oh, the death and that of the other people came back again and again. I thought, why was I the only survivor? It haunts me. It always will. And she said that in 2010. Again, that's the same thing where they just, it's, there's so much guilt that goes along with being the only survivor. So there's been a lot of speculation as to how she survived. Um, so it was known that she was seat belted in. Um, so she was somewhat shielded and cushioned, Mm -hmm. but they think also because the seats on either side of her became empty, uh, that they kind of acted as almost like a parachute. It was like a row of three and she was in the middle. Um, so the impact was also lessened by the thunderstorm updraft. So like the thunderstorm having like big wind and stuff Mm -hmm. kind of like helped push her up instead of pushing her straight place at the right time. Yeah. And she also landed in thick foliage. So it was like cushioned her fall. Um, she moved to Germany and she fully recovered. She ended up studying biology just like her dad, um, at the university of Kiel and graduated in 1980. So she graduated just the one year before I was born, because this is about me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She received a doctorate from Ludwig Maximilian University. Oh, she's smart. She is a smart one. Uh, And then she uh, published her thesis, Ecological Mm -hmm. Study of a Bat Colony in the Tropical Rainforest of Peru in 1987. Um, Get it, girl. So she's doing well. She's, She's thriving and surviving. And... I just feel like this really combined my two big fears. Yeah, of it sure di- did. Dying in an airplane crash and also dying by lightning. Mm-hmm. Both happened at the and same time. And having worms on your body. Oh, God bless America. No, thank you. No. Maggots. If, I can't. Even if they're in a trash can, I can't handle it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I had an incident with maggots in a trash can about a year ago. I was throwing something away. I threw it into our big, like you have like those big garbage cans here. Yeah. And I threw it in there and there must've been something in there that maggots had grown on. Mm-hmm. That's happened to me too before. And a couple flung out. No. Towards me. And I screamed and ran. You just like, Donald, take care of that. Donald, the garbage needs to be taken out. That's when you take the actual garbage out. I would just throw it away. Ta- my husband's like, we can just spray it out. I'm like, no, mm. We're probably just going to throw it away Oh, no, Donald sprayed it out. No, Todd did too, but I would have just thrown it away. I don't think they'll take it. It's not ours. We're, like, renting it from the city. Oh. Anywho, that's the story. So, ta-da. Amazon. Amazon rainforest. she's a good person. She didn't take their boat. I I would have taken the boat, probably. I feel like I would have waited because I feel like people would have been coming for the said boat, and they would have found me, and then they could rescue me. I would have taken it. You know what I would have wanted? Food. Yeah. Like, I'm like, how, what is she eating this whole time? It said she was eating the sweets from the plane, but it broke apart. There couldn't have been that much. Yeah. And <sighs> traveling and walking and wading through water, you're going to be working up an appetite. Right. She could have been eating those maggots. Hakuna um, Matata. I mean, if, <laughs> I mean, if you're that hungry, you will. Ooh, okay. All right. Kenny, let's hear it. Well, I'm going to throw back to our first episode since we're celebrating 10. 
It's another man suing his parents. Yeah. This time, yes. I know the exact price he's suing him for. He's suing him for $87,000. Hmm, that's an interesting number. That's a number. very specific but amount. Why is he suing him? Where hmm. is he from? Can we get some background? Do you have Michigan. any background? He is he's a 40-year-old man. A 40-year-old okay. man. Hmm. Okay, 87000 What part of Michigan? Do you know? Uh, Ottawa Lansing? County. Oh. Not that I'm... Okay. Wherever Ottawa County I'm is. still going to have the worst guess ever. All right. I'm going to say that he is suing them because they forced him to go to college and he didn't want to. So he wants the tuition back. Okay. 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 I think he's suing them because they own a restaurant in this town and they want him to work a third shift. And he said no. Both wildly wrong. <laughs> I mean, I figured. <laughs> He is suing his parents for getting rid of his vast porn collection. Oh, I mean, I hate it when that happens. God. My mom throws out my porn Who collection. Who has a porn collection? You can just go on the internet. It's the World Wide Web, buddy. His porn collection was what he estimates worth $29,000. So where's the 87 coming from? For damages. Emotional damages? Emotional damages. <laughs> for uh, his penis? Some oh, of the God. titles, <laughs> some of the classic titles that were yes. thrown out include Frisky Business. Whoa. <laughs> and Big Bad Grannies. Oh. No, 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 no. I don't think that's worth any amount of money. No. It's up there, apparently. It's a no. classic. No. I'm just going to keep saying edition. no. Oh, my God. So Big I wonder, Bad Grannies. So was it like, was it like Grandma porn. Grandma? I have no idea. I'm just, this Grandma two porn. of the titles they listed for me. I would look it up on my computer, but this is my work computer, so I'm not going to do, do that. Don't do that, yeah. I don't want to look it up on my computer. Don't do it. No. Don't. Oh my god. Granny porn, who knew? I mean, believe me, there's so much weird shit out there. Do you think it was like magazines and DVD collections? It said magazines both? and videos. So. Now do you think do you think any of those were VHS? Probably. I, I mean, mean if it's f- worth 20 he has 12 boxes of porn, he said. He had to be collecting why, it the past like why? 20 As a 40, years. Why as a 40-year-old man do you have a porn collection that large at your parents' house? Exactly, that your parents well, have access to. He was living with his parents after his divorce for six months. Oh. Probably got divorced because he had 12 boxes of porn. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so I would say that's probably it's accurate. probably helps. It didn't contribute to the joy of their marriage, I'll tell you that And then when he moved into his new house and his parents dropped off the boxes, he's like, I'm missing 12 boxes of porn. His parents were like, we're trying to help you. That's what they said. They said, we're trying to help you getting rid of that stuff. Wow. Although I'm going to tell him, there's a whole new world out there called the World Wide Web. You can find any kind of porn you want. I'm just saying. It's not like back in the day where you had to like, search for it and save it or you had to like buy it and it it. came in a brown bag Uh or something like that yeah every time i'd buy mine it would come like that yeah exactly like it came came exactly like that and then like with a little like sample of lube Uh uh-huh did it really no (laughs) i have absolutely no idea (gasps) that's a really good idea (laughs) i've I've listened to this podcast It's, it's like 35 year old guys they say Back in their day, there used to be a box of porn in the woods that kids yes. would share. That's a no, thing? They, yes. Okay. Is it? Yes. 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 And he's like, ask yeah. people about it. And they're like, yeah, we had a box of porn in our woods. Okay. So it's so, like a gift that you just give to the... Yeah. It's just yeah. like pass it down so to generations. When I, was, when I was a kid, I was born in 1981, um, I, our neighborhood was predominantly little boys. Okay. Okay. It was like me and a bunch of little boys. And we would ride our bikes in the woods and um they it wasn't videos but it would be like 
penthouse magazines that were in a box with like a big rock on top of it. And you would go back there. And I remember one time my brother ripped a page out and like hid it in our playhouse. And my parents found it and they asked me about it. And I was like, that's my brother. like, that's not mine. I mean, why would I have a picture of giant boobs? No. <laughs> I was like eight. Get out of here. But I love that he stole one picture. Like he's like, I'm just going to take this one. Here. Just this one boob picture. <laughs> I'm not going to take an actual magazine. But no, these, I mean, these little boys, like I remember when they showed it to me, they were so excited and proud. I'm like, this is like, gross. This is I don't want to look at this. Yeah. I'm like, I want to play with my little ponies. Where, where are my Barbie dolls at? What's happening? <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. I, yeah, I've heard it before, and I just always like that can't be real, but it's Jenny's... real. It's real. I was I was witness to it. Wow. But it, in my case, it was like penthouse and playboys and stuff yeah. in a box in the woods. Yeah. So I didn't love it because I was a girl, and I was like, gross. I wonder if it was worth eighty seven thousand dollars. I hope he doesn't win, or I hope it doesn't go to court. Don't waste our time. He tried dollars. to press charges, but the police wouldn't take the case. That's it's why ridiculous. I assume. Great catch. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Says Grandma Jenkins over here. <laughs> oh man! All right, episode ten, fully I can't done and ten. I know. I know. Hmm. We're like on a roll here at the old sip, survive, repeat. Hey, thriving and surviving up in this joint. We got the best wine. We got the best stories. Hey, <laughs> and when we say the best wine, we say that with a little grain of salt because yep. this is not. It's at actually all going it. down pretty smooth. It goes down pretty smooth. Yeah, cupcake wine, you guys. Uh, okay, so check out our website, sipsurviverepeat.com. Mm-hmm. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And um, if you guys have any hometowns, we would love to hear them. Uh, we have uh, an, a Gmail account you can send them to. It's sipsurviverepeat.com. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a website. At gmail. At gmail.com. <laughs> sipsurviverepeat at gmail.com. The wine's getting to me. <laughs> Anything else? No. Everybody good? That's good. That's great. Congrats on episode 10. Yay. All right, guys. Thanks, we will guys. S- we'll see you next week. Bye. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network. Thank you.